You're listening to The Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually, yet poignantly, about the most relevant topics in teaching today. Come and chat with us. We're always ready for a great conversation. Welcome to the Staff Room Podcast, the bonus episodes where we focus on author talks. Today on our seventh author talk, we are humbled and honored to be speaking to Thomas C. Murray, author of Personal and Authentic, Designing Learning Experiences That Impact a Lifetime. Welcome, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so happy and excited to be talking to you about your book. Uh, thank you, Pavan Che. It's such an honor to be on. A huge fan of the work and the podcast, and thanks for letting me join you today. The honor's mine. Thank you. Uh, this is this is fantastic, Pav. It's so fun that we get to introduce Tom Murray to our show. Ultimately, we should have just let Tom go first, and he could have said, we all know who I am, and these, this is Pay and Pav. Um, so I thought this was a great start. And I loved how this little episode came together, because oftentimes we've sort of had the, the first connections with you know what the authors we featured. But this one, there was the middle player. And we knew Tom from afar, but we didn't know him personally. We never had an interaction. We, Tom, we engaged with you once early on in a Twitter chat about your book. But, um, you know, that didn't necessarily lead to anything further. But we had these great, rich conversations all the time with Tara about education and leadership and teachers. And she always, always cites your work brings you up and always reminds us that that sort of how we and the way we present ourselves always sort of fits the things you're talking about, that authentic uh, component, that student-centered learning. And so Tara is so... Uh, when she heard about uh, our connection, she said, I- I'm going to get you a book. So she sent us a book like almost right away, instantaneously, and has been so great to help us get connected. So we are really humbled and excited to talk with you today. And for Tara, for connecting us, that really highlights the the power of the, the Twitter space, the social media space, because without it, we wouldn't have had this great opportunity for us to read your book and for us to learn. That being said, let me dive into the first question. So one, tell us a little bit about yourselves, a little summary and description of really what was the motivation behind your book? Do you have it in your mind that you wanted to tell these stories? Were you inspired by others that sort of said, hey, why don't you, why don't you put these stories and that, these ideas down and, and just give us a little insight in it? How did you get into this entire experience of writing this great book and sharing these wonderful stories with teachers and educators? Yeah, well, thank you so much. And you know what an honor it is. And, and kudos to Tara for introducing us. And you know, the, the connections there are so important. I've known her forever. She's a principal right near where I live. Um, we've done some work together. And, you know, she was speaking so highly of you all being like, what do you mean you haven't been on the podcast? How have you not worked with them? You guys are all so similar. And it really speaks to the power of connection 
connection and the power of story. And for me, that's part of the reason that I, I wrote Personal and Authentic. It's funny, somebody that reads, um, I'll often get people that read my, my book prior, uh, Learning Transformed, it was a bestseller with ASCD. It's like a complete opposite type of book. It is very research heavy, research to practice. It's really written for superintendents and assistant superintendents. It's much drier. And so I've had a lot of people say, wow, it seems like two completely different authors. And so with that, I share part of the reason I wrote Personal and Authentic is I felt like there were so many stories that I wanted to tell. And there's such power in story. You know, in, in chapter one of Personal and Authentic, I tell part of my own story and why I see the world the way that I do. And I talk about my first year teaching. And, you know, without giving too much of it away, I, I had some really significant life crises that first year uh, with a student and with my mentor that really shaped the lens in which I see the work. And I had a mentor that would call me out when my head and my mindset were off and, and would do so lovingly one-on-one -on -one and really helped me set straight. But there were some things that happened that year that were so significant that really charted the course and pointed me the course of being completely, when it comes boils down to it, kid-focused, kid-centered, you know, standing up for what's right, making sure my mindset is right, looking in the mirror. And when I look into the eyes of myself, realizing like, is it me that's the issue here? Because sometimes I think it's our own mindset, our own lens that can get in the way. And so when I looked at personal and authentic, I really had a variety of goals. The one is being there's a lot of stories that I wanted to amplify and that I wanted to share. And when I say that, I don't mean just my own, but also part of it for me is there was the, the story of my daughter. And, and I have a son and I have a daughter. My daughter is now 10. She's had incredible teachers throughout, but she's had this real journey throughout that I thought was so relational to the book in the sense of I wanted people to be able to see kind of through her eyes, those pieces, ultimately what matters most, you know, especially right now. And it's funny, people will reach out and be like, how did you write these words pre-pandemic that we're living them now on how things like, you know, it, we're, the who we teach is always going to be far more important than the what we teach. And sometimes people get a little riled up like that thinking, you know, are the standard, are you saying the standards, are you saying these things are not important? And of course, that's not the case. I really wanted uh, uh, to, to write, to bring us back to ultimately what I viewed was so important. And I feel like the pandemic worldwide has helped us to refocus on what's more most important. You know, back in March, when everything started to happen in the U.S., it started to that March 13th date. Um, every, you know, it wasn't the following week, like, gee, where's the math benchmark assessment? It was which kids need food, which kids need to make sure that they're safe. And the book related to that being pre-pandemic, I wanted people to refocus on what's most important. And that's on kids and that's on them holistically, not just their data points, not just their test scores. Yeah, uh, Tom, that's so important. And uh, yeah, just to go back to, you know, that first chapter of your book, as I was reading that, it was, you know, it was so impactful um, because I I'm reading it going, oh my gosh, this was, this has been every teacher. Every teacher has had those moments. And uh, what I was thinking to myself at that time, what a lucky situation that you had um, to have a mentor like the one that you did, who, you know, just got up from, you know, sitting where he was to, to come and follow you and to, and to, you know, literally talk some sense into you. Like, what are you doing? And, 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 and it was such a, um, a humbling moment because as, as educators, we've all had those moments where we just reach that, that sheer frustration, that point where we, where we think to ourselves, what am I doing wrong? And, um, 
And I really enjoyed that story because it did help to bring into focus that idea of, you know, who we teach is more important than what we teach. And and I think that all of us, I mean, the longer we are in teaching, we do uh, we do agree with that statement very much so because until you really are able to connect with those students on their basic needs, um, it it makes it becomes increasingly difficult to to be able to reach them on that curricular on that content level. So that is so important. And we love that idea of, you know, striving to amplify the voices of everybody in in the space. So um, really love that introduction and really love that motivation behind writing the book. So um, as as I dive into the next question, who would you say? I know that obviously we're thinking teachers in this situation, but who would you say most benefits from this message and the material in the book? I mean, when you wrote it, were you thinking teachers or were you thinking, you know, everyone within education, administrators, support staff, uh, who benefits the most? And why do you think that this is such an increasingly necessary topic for us to consider? Sure. Great question. And, you know, it's always important to consider the audience. As I mentioned, Learning Transformed a little while ago, I've had times where superintendents should say, would say, hey, you know, I'm working with their staff. Should I buy a copy for every teacher. And I said, you're never going to hear this for an off, uh, from an author, but no, this isn't the book for them. And, and people kind of look at me weird as the author saying that, but the intent was very high level, very research-based and not really your classroom specific focus. And here I wanted to write a book to touch the hearts of every educator, whether you're a superintendent, a principal, or a teacher, and really doing so by amplifying the voices of many practitioners really in that space and doing so. And so, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of teaching strategies, but there's also a lot of uh, strategies to connect with people. I've had many, uh, over the pandemic, I've had many districts use this as a way to stay connected online throughout the pandemic. And I've had bus drivers reach out and say, I can't believe I took a part of a book study that I felt so relevant and so worthwhile because I make a difference every day when those kids walk on my buses as I'm the first face that gets to greet them. And so when I hear that from a bus driver, I can't say that was my intent when I wrote it because it's not that piece. But when we talk about people and we talk about loving others, others and we talk about doing whatever it takes and breaking down barriers so kids have access and opportunities. It doesn't matter if you're that bus driver, that kitchen staff worker, that support staff, that principal, that teacher, that superintendent, that's part of what you do every single day. And so it really is written for everybody. I would say teachers and principals are probably the most common audience, but you know, it's always having that um, understanding where that audience is is important. And I wanted to really empower and inspire those people that touch the lives of kids every single day, especially the those people that when they look in the mirror in the morning, they don't see necessarily school leader, yet they are absolutely leading kids every single day. Oh, Tom, so many great nuggets. I, I took that touched by the heart or touched the heart and that the power of connecting with people is often and so necessarily done through stories, listening, hearing, appreciating stories. I know we speak so much of SEL in teaching and in our curriculum. And of course, stories are so connected to that. But you're a big fan of talking about, and I've heard you talk about this before, the hidden stories within. And this connects to so many things that are so relevant in education. But I know this is something you would love to talk a little bit more. When we talk about the hidden stories within, why is this an important concept to consider? 
Yeah. So, you know, this one I get chills talking about, and it's actually hard for me to talk about it and not get emotional because the main story surround, it's my daughter. And so when I look at it, if I just gave you my daughter's data over a period of time, my daughter's attendance data, and I said, hey, here's a child that was absent 35 times in 14 months. In 14 months, those same 14 months, she'd been tardy 20 times. And a lot of times what I do when I'm running a workshop or working with educators, I'll ask them in a 14 month period, let's pretend you're getting this child tomorrow. All we know that it's a female. We know she's been absent 35 times in 14 months. We know she's been tardy 20 months. What are some judgments people might make? And here's what we hear. Maybe she's pregnant. Maybe there's drugs. Maybe she's at home taking care of others. Why are parents disconnected? Why is she so lazy? How come she doesn't care? Kids, parents are a mess going on and on and on. And then they say, well, let me tell you the next part of this this story. See that data right there? That's the data from my daughter. And the place goes silent. Let me tell you her story. And then I start to relive a night when she was 10 months old and we had friends over for dinner and she happened to get a little tiny piece of hummus on her hand. We weren't feeding it to her, but she happened to rub her eye. And what we didn't know at that that moment was she was deathly allergic to sesame, which is hummus is ground sesame. And within about a minute and a half, she became almost unrecognizable, discolored and was gasping for air because she couldn't breathe. You know, and what if I told you what it was like as daddy driving her to the hospital, literally just praying to God to save the, my life and my daughter because she was gasping for air and couldn't breathe? Or what was it, what it was like the moment I was running into an ER room, screaming for an EpiPen, thinking like a nurse coming out and, and, and putting it in her leg and watching the color come back to her a little bit, watch her start to be able to gasp and actually start to be able to breathe a little bit again, or tell you what it was like the night that I laid next to her crib that evening after getting home at about one o'clock in the morning from the hospital, just listening to literally every breath to make sure she was still breathing like those moments right there. And then what if I told you what it was like in those 35 absences, every single one of them, when my wife or myself would take her to her appointment, she would say, daddy, I really wish I could be in school today. You know, in 19 of the 20 tardies, it was because she had a 7 a.m. appointment two hours from our house and we would get back to school about one o'clock in the afternoon. And what if I told you as daddy, what it was like knowing that her teacher would give her a hug and just say, Pays, I'm so glad you're here today not just hand her the worksheets she missed that morning. It was, I missed you. And I'm glad you're here today. What if I told you in those 14 months, she had been, um, we'd almost lost her three times because of one seed of sesame, but process those 14 months. She now eats 2000 seeds every single day because she was the first child in the Northeast of the United States to undergo this food allergy treatment for sesame. And so when I start to tell her story, people, it instantly clicks. Well, yeah, if I'm the dad, 35 days of school is going to be nothing if it's going to save the life of my child. And so when I tell the story, it completely changes the context. And I really believe a a child's story defines the context in which they learn. And I share that story with her permission, hopefully to empower educators so that, you know, here we are in the midst of remote learning and you got kids that aren't logging in or kids that are, and, and sometimes we get so quick to judge. And Pav, like you were talking about part of my story that I shared in my first chapter where I was so quick to judge and I took it so personal and like, why is this kid doing this to me and my and I, and the words that I use really also share the context and share the lens. But when I share my daughter's story and I talk about the hidden stories within, you see, if my beautiful little girl would walk into your classroom, you couldn't look at her and tell the stories on her heart unless you took the time to find it out. Her teacher this year, one of the first assignments that she did was to ask her her students to, to, to put out there, or I'm sorry, to ask parents to introduce their child and why they were proud of their child and share part of your child's story, essentially. And guess what I talked about is daddy. 
why she's courageous and bold and fearless and undergoing the therapies that she has and all the times that she spent 10,000 miles driven in a car, 180 hours in a car to undergo something she didn't want to undergo in life, right? And so when we talk about the hidden stories within, it's important for us as educators to understand that every child, whether they're logging into a Zoom right now or walking into our classroom, has stories on our heart, just like every single colleague across the hall has stories on our heart. And the difficulty is we're never going to know them all. And it's why we need to lead with an empathy lens. It's why we need to not take things personal. It's why we need to recognize when a child's misbehaving, it's a cry out for help. And maybe you're that safety net that they don't know the words to say to you, but they give you that cry out for help. And instead of it taking it personally, flipping that lens to say, what are the story on this stories on this child's heart that's gotten them to this point right now? Because we all have them. There's stories of racism or stories of abuse or stories of neglect or stories of hope or stories of opportunity of stories of love. And those are the stories ultimately that really, I believe, define the context in which kids learn. And so part of really reading the, writing that section was to give teachers and principals a different context to understand. You see something like data, it's important, but we, we look at data and we make judgments based on data without knowing the story we can make really bad decisions for kids. And it's why we need to humanize the data. And it's, it's why we need to focus on the people side of our work. Uh, Tom, like I must have jotted down 17 notes and then I shot Pav a message and I said, don't go first. I got to respond first. I got to respond first. <laughs> um, it, you touched on so many critical things pop into my own mind. And I, I thought of actually the song, Everybody Hurts. I think it's R.E.M., but if it's not Pav in the post-production, we can edit that out and insert the right artist. But it just reminds that <laughs> everyone's got a story. And sometimes it isn't about pain, but everyone has that, that story. And then you made that good, great connection to data. And I'll talk about it through a sports lens because I often talk about being the gym guy, especially when we talk about baseball stats. I say the stats isn't the end of the story. The data, the stats, it's the beginning of the story. Why is the data this way? Why are the, the stats this way? And so when you were talking about that data, you're right. Like The absenteeism in, in that particular example, that's not the story. That's, that's the evidence that we as teachers and educators, we need to go and find the stories. Why is there this narrative? So sorry, Pat, I had to shoot you a message and say, I, I've got to come out of this one. Tom's just, he's hit my heart on so many spots with uh, with this story and i you know, know that, thanks jay you know the other thing that i'll mention there is especially right now in the midst of the pandemic when when trauma is is higher than it's ever been it's why we need that empathy lens like i wonder how many times over the course of the last seven or eight months people have looked back and gotten all fired up as teachers and you know they're so quick to judge we're so quick to make these judgments of like why a child's not logging on and and maybe having no idea that mom and dad lost their job in the past month and that child's really not concerned with math class right now that child's wondering how they're going to eat tomorrow and when we understand those stories and again the difficulty and sometimes people say well we're not going to know them all which, which is absolutely true we never will and sometimes there's people they don't want to share their stories they're not comfortable and that's absolutely okay but it's why we can't judge first it's why we have to have empathy first and help understand those stories and also i believe give people opportunities to tell their stories where it's you know where it's relevant where it makes sense giving students the opportunity in our classrooms whether it's i wish my teacher knew and letting them just answer that prompt or those kinds of things to really help open our eyes because this work is not about us this work is all about them 
Yes, indeed. Uh, Tom, you're absolutely right. And I actually want to thank Che for taking, uh, taking, uh, take a, taking us out of your last, uh, your last conversation there, just because I got so uh, involved in listening to you that I actually forgot to check to see where I was in the list of questions. And I was just lost <laughs> in, in your story. So thank you. Um, you know, just like the book, I'm just getting lost in, in, in your storytelling and your ability to just to speak to who we often are as educators and, and what is what we consider to be so important uh, part, such an important part of teaching. And so, you know, as you were as you were talking about these hidden stories, it made me think about uh, the next step. So once we once we know about our students hidden stories, what we what we really want to do is amplify stories. We want to then take those stories and amplify the voices of the people who are telling them and whether that's students or the other teachers in our spaces. And, and Che and I are really, really big um, promoters of the idea of amplifying voice and, and how important it is from a cultural lens. And, you know, you were talking about the stories coming from places of racism, neglect, abuse, love, whatever it might be, those stories we need to understand, we need to know when they are hidden. And then, you know, when we can, we need to amplify the voices from where those stories come from. So we know that you have a section in your chapters that is called Make It Stick. And so can you tell us a little bit about that and and how you, uh, you try to amplify the voices of the people that are around you as an educator? Yeah, great question. And, and really such a key to the book. I, I recognize as a white male educator who grew up in a two-parent home in a middle-class family, you know, who would go on vacation once a year, who never worried about my next meal, who never worried about having clothes that were clean for school. I recognize my story is not always the norm. I recognize my lens is one lens. And it's not that I should feel guilty about that lens. It's just all Tom Murray has ever known. And so in that, it's so vital for me to recognize the people that have had different experiences in related to, to schooling and different experiences growing up. And throughout the book, one of the things I was really intentional about is amplifying stories of many, many people, dozens and dozens of people throughout that have a different life experience than Tom Murray. For instance, one of the examples in terms of making things personal and authentic, I created this framework of really different practical ways to do it. And one of them is around cultural relevance, cultural responsiveness. And I recognized as a white male, that's just not my story to tell. I can bring data. I can bring issues. I can bring them up. Because on one hand, if I have a platform, I also believe it's my responsibility to bring up current issues. And when we look at in the United States, the things that have happened over the last five or six months throughout our country are around culture, around race, I recognize having a platform. It's my job to amplify the voices that have people that have different life experiences. So when I was writing that section, I reached out to one of my best girlfriends, Dr. Rosa Perez Isaiah, whose story of coming and immigrating to the United States at four years old and did not speak English. And now she has her doctorate and is just crushing it in a district in California. Her life experience, you know, her experiences around racism, her experience about coming to the United States as an immigrant, not speaking English are a vast vastly different story than Tom Murray had growing up. And it's not that one's better, they're just different, which gives us different lenses. And so that was an opportunity to say, Rosa, work with me on this chapter, if you would, to help tell your story. And she brilliantly wrote words that I couldn't, I've never experienced. She brilliantly wrote words that I just couldn't, I, I couldn't write because I don't have that lens. When I wrote about equity, I do a lot of work uh, nationally 
and federally around equity, equity and access, equity and opportunity, breaking down barriers for traditionally marginalized students. And when I wrote about equity, I reached out to one of my best friends, Ken Shelton, who is a black male who grew up in, um, in Los Angeles, taught in LAUSD, grew out of there. And, and he's got a very different lens for equity. And he and I, he's one of my best friends. We do a lot of work together. But again, I wanted to bring out those voices and the make it stick are really these short, concise ways when I would reach out to people and say, read this section as a second grade teacher, as a principal as a superintendent, as a student, what would you do in the classroom to bring this out? Give me something practical so that I can amplify the voices of so many diverse educators across the country who have things to say that have incredible value that they bring to the table. And I wanted to amplify their brilliance because when we look at it like that, the, the, the reader of Personal Authentic will get a far greater, uh, far greater takeaways because of all the voices throughout than if it was just my own. And so part of what I'll say is, is it's a key for me to be vulnerable. I will never stand on a stage and tell people how well I did something ever. And in personal and authentic, you will not find one story that tells how well Tom Murray did something. I refuse to do it. But you know what you will find? You'll find stories of where I messed it up. You'll find stories where I'm vulnerable. And I will be vulnerable to say it's not my voice that it's not only my voice that matters. And heck, that's not even being vulnerable. It's just a, a flat out fact. But I think that vulnerability is making two points here. I think that vulnerability is key. And I think saying, you know, you don't have all the answers. You don't know it all. You have one response. Uh, you have one experience. So many people have far different experiences than them and their voices matter and their stories matter. And if I've got a platform, I want to help amplify those. And so really you see that throughout Personal and Authentic because their stories are just as important than mine. Their ideas are just as important. And so if I can leverage those stories and, and the thank to the many, many people that well over 50 educators contributed to Personal and Authentic that have different stories, different upbringings, different race, different culture than Tom Murray does. And that's just an honor for me to be able to do so. The, the idea of amplifying stories and honoring stories, it's, it's not just a story. You touched on all the critical elements there, Tom. When, you're, when you are engaging and embracing and validating and, and creating a space, a safe and a brave space for people to share their stories and everyone to uh, uh, acknowledge and honor everyone's stories, it builds such uh, allyship amongst, I think of the classroom setting, amongst your students. If I think of a staff, when you have that type of conversation and sharing within your staff, it builds such advocacy and allyship amongst each other and it's it's so critical to understand it's not just a story stories are what binds us it's how we learn from each other and you just touched so importantly that really powerful anti-racist work actually starts with stories and and you just touched on it beautifully right there articulated it wonderfully we've already taken 24 minutes of your time and pav and i are just scribbling down endless notes we'll let you get out of here on this one question what do you have coming next? You're already doing this, this incredible work. You've done this incredible work, but I'm sure your story is going to continue. The story of amplifying other stories and honoring other stories as your story, as your journey continues. Let us know what Tom Murray's got coming up next. So I'm excited to continue the work that I'm doing, working with teachers, working with principals, working with superintendents to bring out the greatness that they have throughout their di their districts, to vision, to plan. I work with a lot, a high level with strategic planning and shaping culture in schools, amplifying the voices of other people. I'm also looking forward to a break and some downtime coming up around this holiday season. Um, we all need that. I encourage every educator that's listening right now, make sure that you prioritize 
prioritize yourself. For me, coming up, I'm looking forward to some self-care, putting my feet up a little bit, spending time with my family, my babies at home. And here's what I know. I know educators are some of the most hardest working people on the planet. They're so creative. They're so empathetic. They work tirelessly. And I know this pandemic has taken a job that was impossible and magnified the impossible. Yet I know educators continue to run through walls, continue to find ways to do it all, but they cannot lose themselves in this process. And so for me, some self-care coming up, some downtime coming up, and I encourage every educator that's listening to prioritize themselves, to remember that self-care is not selfish and we need to prioritize. The example that I give in Personal and Authentic, you know, we wouldn't go to bed at night without recharging our phone. It's something we do every single day, but how many times do we go weeks or even months without recharging ourselves? And to be able to fully give to our students, to be able to fully give to our colleagues and really bring our best, we have to take times where we pause, where we recharge. But I know that educators have such servant hearts, and I really believe servant hearts can come at a fault if we continue to give and give and give until we've got nothing left. And over time, we'll eventually lose our effectiveness because of our giving and our giving. And so self-care, we've got to prioritize it. So I'm going to turn that question from me to the audience and say, you know, coming up, what are you going to do for self-care? Whether it's the holidays, whatever you might celebrate, whatever's coming up, how do you prioritize your family, your children, who it is that's most important in your life so that we don't, in the work that we do, lose what's most important to us and whoever that might be in your world. And so self-care has to be at the top of the list. But when I know with people that are so selfless in the work, it's hard to prioritize. But for me coming up, I'm looking forward a little bit of that around the holiday time. And I'll continue to support the school and district leaders throughout the world as a thank you for the work that they do every single day. Wow, Tom, uh, you just said some magic words right there, that self-care piece and the encouragement that you're giving everybody out there that's listening to also, you know, and it's not, I don't want to use the word indulge in some self-care. I want people, you know, to also uh, take those words of advice and and uh, and and apply them to their own lives because we all do definitely need that and so we love that answer and uh, we definitely would love to partake in some self care ourselves so just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today Tom and telling us so much more about your incredible book personal and authentic designing learning experiences that impact a lifetime every educator needs to pick up this book it is so impactful and you will see yourself throughout the book. As as you are reading it. So thank you again, Tom, for joining us today and for talking about your incredible work. Thanks for having me on, everybody. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. That was 30 Minutes of School. 